Unsung Heroes number six, Lita, Manuela, Mom, nineteen twenty nine to twenty eighteen. You were born five years before the beginning of the Spanish Civil War and lived in a modest two-story home in the lower street of Fontan, facing the ocean, that gifted you its wealth and beauty, but also robbed you of your beloved and noblest elder brother, Juan, who was killed while working as a fisherman out to sea at the tender age of 19. You were a little girl much prone to crying. The neighbors would make you cry just by saying, Chora, niña, chora. Cry, little girl, cry, which instantly produced inconsolable wailings. At the age of seven or eight, you were blinded by an eye infection. The village doctor eventually saved your eyesight but not before you missed a full year of school. You never recovered from that lost time. Your impatience and the shame of feeling left behind prevented you from making up for lost time. Your wounded pride, the shame of not knowing what your friends knew, your restlessness and your inability to hold your tongue when you were corrected by your teacher created a perfect storm that inevitably tossed your diminutive boat towards the rocks. When still a little girl, you saw Franco, with his escort, leave his yacht in Fontan. With the innocence of a girl who never learned to hold her tongue, you asked the neighbor, who was also present, Who is that man? The Generalissimo Francisco Franco, she answered, and whispered, Say Viva Franco when he passes by. With the innocence of a little girl and the arrogance of an incorrigible old soul, you screamed, pointing, That's the Generalissimo? Followed up with loud laughter. He looks like Tom Thumb. A member of his protective detail approached you, raising his machine gun with the apparent intention of hitting you with the stock. Leave her alone, Franco ordered. She's just a child. The fault is not hers. You told that story many times in my presence, always with a smile or laughing out loud. I don't believe you ever appreciated the possible import of that feat of contempt for authority. Could that act of derision have played some small part in their later coming for your father and taking him prisoner, torturing him for months and eventually condemning him to be executed by firing squad in the Plaza de Maria Pita? He escaped his fate with the help of a fascist officer who freed him. Such was his reputation, the power of his ideas and the esteem even of friends who did not share his views. Such was your innocence, of your psychic blind spot, that you never realized your possible contribution 
to his destruction. Thank God you never connected the possible impact of your words to his downfall. You adored your dad throughout your life with a passion of which he was most deserving. He died shortly after the end of the Spanish Civil War. A mother with ten mouths to feed, including her own, needed help. You stepped up in response to her silent, urgent need. At the age of 11, you left school for the last time and began working full-time. Children could not legally work in Franco's Spain. Nevertheless, a cousin who owned a cannery took pity on your situation and allowed you to work full-time in his fish cannery factory in Sava. You earned the same salary as the adult, predominantly women workers, and worked better than most of them, with a dexterity and rapidity that served you well your entire life. In your free time before work, you carried water from the communal fountain to neighbors for a few cents. You also made several trips carrying a large sedja full of water balanced on your head for home with a pail in each hand also full of water. This continued after you began work in the Cheches cannery factory. You rose long before sunrise to get the water for home and for the local fishermen before they left on their daily fishing trips for their personal water pails. All of the money you earned went to your mom with great pride that a girl could provide more than the salary of a grown woman at the mere cost of her childhood and schooling. You also washed clothes for some neighbors for a few cents more with diapers for newborns always free just for the pleasure of being allowed to see, hold, and spend some time with the new babies you so dearly loved your whole life through. When you were old enough to go to the Sunday cinema and dances, you continued the same routine and added washing and ironing the Sunday clothes for the young fishermen who wanted to look their best for the weekly dances. The money from that third job was all yours to pay for weekly hairdos, the cinema and dance entry, dance hall entry fees. The rest still went to your mom. At 16, you wanted to emigrate to Buenos Aires to live with an aunt. Your mom agreed to let you, provided you took your younger sister and mother's namesake, Remedios, with you. You reluctantly agreed. You later found you could also not legally work in Buenos Aires as a minor. So you convincingly lied about your age and got a job as a nurse's aide at a clinic soon after your arrival. You washed bedpans, made beds, scrubbed floors, and other similar assigned tasks to earn enough money to pay for the passage for your mom and two youngest brothers. Cito, Jose, and Paco, Francisco, 
Later, you got a job as a maid at a hotel in the resort town of Mar del Plata, whose owners loved your passion for children and put their infant children in your care. You served as a maid and an unpaid nanny. Between your modest salary and tips as a maid, you soon earned the rest of the funds needed for your mom's and brother's passage from Galicia. You returned to Buenos Aires and found two rooms you could afford in an excellent neighborhood at an old boarding house near the Spanish consulate in the center of the city. Afterwards, you got a job at the Pond's laboratory as a machine operator of packaging machines for Pond's beauty products. You made good money and helped to support your mom and brothers while she continued working as hard as she ever had in Spain. No longer selling fish, but cleaning a funeral home and washing clothing by hand for the well-to-do. When your brothers were old enough to work, they joined you in supporting your mom and getting her to retire from working outside the home. You lived with your mom in the same boarding house until you married dad years later, and you never lost the bad habit of stubbornly speaking your mind no matter the cost. Your union tried to force you to register as a peronista. Once burned, twice cautious, you refused, telling the syndicate you had not escaped one dictator to align yourself with another. They threatened to fire you. When you would not yield, they threatened to repatriate you, your mom and brothers, back to Spain. I cannot print your reply here. They finally brought you to the Pond's general manager's office, demanding that he fire you. You demanded a valid reason for their request. The manager, doubtless at his own peril, refused saying he had no better worker than you and that the union had no cause to demand your dismissal. After several years of courtship, you and Dad married. You had the world well in hand with well-paying jobs and strong savings that would allow you to live a very comfortable life. You seemed incapable of having the children you longed for. Three years of painful treatments later, allowed you to give me life, and we lived three more years in a beautiful apartment. I have memories from a very tender age and remember that apartment very well. But things changed when you decided to go into business that soon became unsustainable in the runaway inflation and economic chaos of the Argentina of the 1960s. I remember only too well your extreme sacrifice and dad's during that time. A theme for another day, not for today. You were the hardest working person I've ever known. You were not afraid of any honest job, no matter how challenging, and your restlessness and competitive spirit always made you a stellar employee everywhere you worked no matter how hard or challenging the job. Even at home, you could not stand still 
unless there was someone with whom to chat a while over a cup of coffee. You are truly a great cook, thanks in part to learning from the chef of the hotel where you had worked in Mar del Plata, a fellow Spaniard of Basque descent who taught you many of his signature dishes, Spanish and Italian specialties included. You were always a terribly picky eater, but you loved to cook for family and friends, the more the merrier, and for special holidays. Dad was also a terrific cook, but with a more limited repertoire. I learned to cook with great joy from both of you at a young age, and though neither my culinary skills nor any aspect of my life can match yours or Dad's, I too am a decent cook and, like you, love to cook especially for meals shared with friends and family. You took great pleasure in introducing my friends to some of your favorite dishes, such as cazuela de mariscos, paella marinera, caldo gallego, stews, roasts, and your incomparable canelones, gnocchis, orejas, crepes, muñuelos, flan, and the rest of your long culinary repertoire. In primary and middle school, Dad picked me up every day for lunch before you and he went to work. You both worked the second shift and did not leave for work until after 2 p.m. Many days, Dad would bring a carload of classmates with me for lunch. I remember it as if it were yesterday. The faces of my Jewish, Chinese, Japanese, German, and Irish, and Italian friends when first introduced to octopus, Spanish tortilla, caldo gallego, and flan. The same was true during college and law school. At times, our home resembled a uh, UN General Assembly meeting, but always featuring food. You always treated my closest friends as if they were your children, and a number of them, to this day, love you as a second mother, though they have not seen you for many years. You had a tremendous passion and affinity for being a mother, a great pity to have just one son. It made you overprotective. You bought my clothes at an exclusive boutique. I became a living doll for someone denied such toys as a young girl. You would not let me out of your sight and kept me in germ-free environments that generally produced some negative health issues. My pediatrician told you often, I want to see him with dirty fingernails and scraped knees. You dismiss the statements as a joke. You take me often to the park and to my favorite merry-go-round, but I did not have a single friend until I was seven or eight, and then just one. I did not have a real full circle of friends until I was around 13 years old. Sad. I was walking and talking up a storm in complete sentences when I was less than one year old. You were concerned and took me to my pediatrician who laughed. He showed me a keychain and asked, What is this, Danny? Those are your car keys, I replied. After a longer evaluation, he told my mom it was important to encourage and feed my curiosity. 
according to you, I was unbearable. Some things never change. I asked Dad endless questions, such as, why is the sun hot? How far are we from the stars, and what are they made of? Why can't I see the reflection of a flashlight pointed at the sky at night? Why don't airplanes have pontoons on top of the wheels so they can land on both water and land, etc., 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 ad nauseum, ad infinitum? He would answer me patiently to the best of his ability and wait for the inevitable follow-ups. I remember a train and bus rides when very young, sitting on his lap, asking him a thousand questions. Unfortunately, when I asked you a question you could not answer, you more often than not made up an answer. Rather than simply saying, I don't know, or go ask your dad, or even go to hell, you little monster, I I drove you crazy. Whatever you were doing, I wanted to learn to do. Whether it was working on the sewing machine, knitting, cooking, ironing, or anything else that looked remotely interesting. I can't imagine your frustration. Yet you always found only joy in your little boy at all ages. Such was your enormous love, which surrounded me every day of my life, and still does. When he told me a story I didn't like the ending of, such as with Little Red Riding Hood, I demanded a better one, and I would cry interminably if I did not get it. Poor mom, what patience. Reading or making up a story that little Danny did not approve of could be dangerous. I remember one day in a movie theater watching cartoons that I loved and still love with my mom and dad, Donald Duck came out from stage right, eating a sandwich. Sitting between you and Dad, I asked you for a sandwich. Rather than explaining that the sandwich was not real, that we'd go to dinner after the show uh, to eat my favorite steak sandwich as usual, you simply told me that Donald Duck would soon bring me the sandwich. But when the scene changed, Donald Duck came back smacking his beak without the sandwich. Then... All hell broke loose. I wailed at the top of my lungs that Donald Duck had eaten my sandwich. He had lied to me and not given me the promised sandwich. That was unbearable. There was no way to console me or even to make me understand too late that Donald Duck was also hungry, that it was his sandwich, not mine, or that what was on the screen was just a cartoon and not real. He, Donald Duck, my favorite Disney character then and now, had eaten the little boy's promised sandwich. Such a betrayal by a loved one was inconceivable and unbearable to me. You and Dad had to drag me out of the theater, ranting at the injustice at the top volume of my little voice. The tantrum, extremely rare for me then, less so now, went on interminably. But all was well again when my beloved Dianieves gave me a cracker with jam and told me Donald had sent it an hour later. So much water under the bridge. Your own memories, like smoke in a soft breeze, have dissipated. 
into insubstantial molecules like so many stars in the night sky that paint no coherent picture. An entire life of vital conversations turned to the whispers of children in a violent tropical storm. Insubstantial, imperceptible fragments, just a dream that interrupts an eternal nightmare. That is your life today. Your memory was always prodigious. You knew the name of every person you ever met and those of all their family members. You could recall entire conversations verbatim. Three years of schooling proved more than sufficient for you to go out into the world, carving your own path from the inhospitable wilderness and learning to read and write at the age of 16. You would have been a far better lawyer than I am, and a fierce litigator who would have fought injustice wherever you found it and always defended the rights of those who could not defend themselves, especially children who were always your most fervent passion. You sacrificed everything for others, always put yourself dead last, and never asked for anything in return. You were an excellent dancer and could sing like an angel. Song was your release in times of joy and in times of pain. You did not drink or smoke or overindulge in anything. For much of your life, your only minor indulgence was a weekly trip to the beauty parlor, even in Spain, when your washing and ironing income paid for it. You were never vain in any other way, but your self-respect required you to try to look your best. You loved people, and unlike Dad, who was for the most part shy, you were quite happy in the all-too-infrequent role as the life of the party. Singing, dressing up as Charles Chaplin or a newborn for a New Year's Eve parties with family and close friends, a natural storyteller until dementia robbed you of the ability to articulate your thoughts. You'd entertain anyone who would listen with anecdotes, stories, jokes, and lively conversation. In short, you are an exceptional person with a large spirit, a mischievous streak, and an enormous heart. I know I am not objective about you, but any of your surviving friends and family members who knew you well will attest to this and more in a nanosecond. You had an incredible, positive, indomitable attitude that led you to rush in where angels fear to tread, not out of foolishness, but out of supreme confidence. Life handed you cartloads of lemons, enough to pickle the most ardent optimist. And you made not just lemonade, but lemon meringue pie, lemon sorbet, lemon drops, and then ground up the rind for sweetest rice pudding, flan, fried dough, and a dozen other delicacies. And when all the lemons were gone, you sowed the seeds from which 
extraordinarily beautiful lemon trees with fruit sweeter than grapes, plums, or cherries would grow. I've always said with great pride that you were a far better writer than I. How many excellent novels, plays, and poems you would have written with half of my education and three times my workload. There is no justice in this world. Why does God give bread to those without teeth? Your prodigious memory no longer allows you to recognize me. I was the last person you forgot. But even now, when you cannot have a conversation in any language, sometimes your, ours, your eyes sparkle when I'm with you and you call me Nenino, my little boy in Galician. And I know then that if only for an instant you are no longer alone. But too soon the light fades and the darkness returns. I can only see you a few hours one day a week. My life circumstances do not leave me another option. The visits are bittersweet, but I am grateful for them. Someday I won't even have that opportunity to spend a few hours with you. You'll have no monuments to mark your passing, save my memory. So long as reason remains. An entire life of incalculable sacrifice will leave behind only the poorest living legacy of love in your son who lacks appropriate words to adequately honor your memory and always will. The day has come too soon. October 11th, 2018. The call came at 3.30 in the morning, an hour or two after I had fallen asleep. They tried CPR in vain. There will be no more opportunities to say I love you, to caress your hands and face, to softly sing in your ear, to put cream on your hands, or hope that this week you might remember me. No more time to tell you the accomplishments of loved ones, who I saw, what they told me, who asked about you this week, or to pray with you, or ask if you would give me a kiss by putting my cheek close to your lips, to feel joy when you grace me, with many little kisses in response, or to tell you, maybe next time, when as was more often the case than not, you did not respond. In saying goodbye, I'd give you the kiss and hug Alice always sent you, followed by three more kisses on the forehead from Dad. He, he always gave you three, and one from me. I'd leave the television on to a channel with people and no sound, and when possible, wait for you to close 
your eyes before leaving. Time has run out. No further extensions are possible. My prayers change from asking God to protect you and by His grace allow you to heal a little bit each day to praying that God protect your soul and dads and that He allow you to rest in peace in His kingdom of heaven. I miss you and dad very much and I will do so as long as God grants me the gift of reason. I never knew what it is to be alone. I do now. Four years seeing your blinding light reduced to a weak flickering candle in total darkness. Four years fearing that you might be aware of your situation. Four years praying that you would not feel pain, sadness, or loneliness. Four years learning to say goodbye. The rest of my life now, waiting in the hope to see you again. I love you, Mom, with all my heart, always and forever. <laughs>